Our scripture this morning is John 14. It's going to show you 22 through 29, but I'm going to add a verse. I'm going to add verse 21 when I read. Oh, sorry. Nope, we have it. It is in there. Verse 22. Good. I, I, I thought I didn't add it, and I did. All right. John 14, 22. Judas, not Iscariot. What a bummer to also be named Judas. We could, we could call him Judas too or something like that. But yeah, this is not, this is the good, this is the good Judas. We rarely hear from him, but he was one of Jesus' disciples. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, to Jesus, Lord, how is it that you will reveal yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus answered him, Those who love me will keep my word, and my Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Whoever does not love me does not keep my words. And the word that you hear is not mine, but is from the Father who sent me. I have said these things to you while I am still with you, but the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you everything and remind you of all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I do not give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be troubled, and do not let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I am coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I am going to the Father, because the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you this before it occurs, so that when it does occur, you may believe. Let's pray. Father, let your word um, flourish in our hearts. Lord, let us not be afraid. Let us live in peace. And let us look forward to the love that is between you and your son. In his name we pray, amen. Amen. Growing up, one thing that I did a lot of was acting. A lot of acting. This is um, a large part due to my my mom, who was the main person to put on musicals at our church. Um, we had them every year, sometimes twice a year. And of course, since she's my mom, I was in every single one of them. And, you know, when I was five, I was a jack-in-the-box um, in a play about toys coming to life. Uh, I, I was in all kinds of things you can imagine. And this led into my high school years when um, at the school I went to, I was involved in a lot of drama. And my favorite kind of acting in high school were these five-minute scenes that we would do for competition. And uh, I played all kinds of characters. I played a, a sheep named Bob in Revenge of the Space Pandas. <laughs> Um, I did a scene from Biloxi Blues. I still remember the line. Um, it's hot, real hot. It's like Africa hot. Tarzan couldn't take this kind of hot. I still, I still say that when it gets really hot out. Um, and uh, <clears throat> I did some monologues too, although I didn't like those as much. And part of the reason I didn't like monologues is because I was just way too self-conscious. Um, well, I sh- the way I should say it is I was, I was aware of the wrong things. 
So I, the whole time I'm thinking about how I'm saying things and then you get into this like feedback loop, like you talk and you hear yourself and then you try to respond, but you keep talking. So it was all weird and jumbled in my head in the monologue, at least in a dialogue you could play off the other person. And then I wasn't, my, my acting um, teacher told me, my teach, I didn't have an acting teacher, I had a teacher who taught acting. And um, she, she's like, you know, Eddie, you know, you act very well from your waist up. Um, but I like was not aware of my legs or my feet at all. So every time I did a monologue, I don't know if you can see this, but every time I do a monologue, I roll my ankles out the whole time, no matter who I was playing. You know, once I played an AIDS patient, once I played a Shakespeare character, and every one of them, the ankles rolled out, and I don't know why. Um, so I was just like, you know, I was just kind of a jumble, like a, a jumbled mess whenever I did monologues. Um, but I loved it. I, I really, I really loved it. And I did it into college and I just, I loved being these characters. And um, we'll, we'll get there, but this, this text makes me think of that word character quite a bit. Uh, we use that word character in a lot of different ways. And I want to argue that the ways we use them are all linked. But think of the ways we use the word character. We say that um, obviously there's a character in a story. If we're reading a story or watching a, a film or a play, there's characters in the story. Um, um, but we also say that um, you know if somebody's acting up, that they're a real character. So and so is a real character. Have you seen this guy? You know, so that kind of thing. That's my Brooklyn accent. Have you seen this guy? No, that's terrible. Nah, I won't do that again. I'm, my apologies. Um, and then, and then we use it in a third way that I think is really interesting. Uh, somebody who's like upstanding, uh, we say that's a person of real character. That person has real character. Now, again, I think these are all connected in a way, even though they don't seem to be. And I want to talk a little bit about how. And, and I, what I think it has to do with is our relationships to a single story and the ways that we relate to a larger story. We seem to have two ways of thinking about story. I mean, I guess three, right? The one is the most, the one we all think of is like a story in a book or a story on the screen or a story on the stage. Um, but when it comes to our lives, we think in terms of story too. Uh, we think of really, uh, we think of our own lives as a kind of story, a story that we're supposed to write. You know, like when I was a kid, you know, teachers would always say to me, Eddie, you can write your own story. You can be anybody you want to be uh, in the world. And so we often think of the story of our own lives. And, and one day there will be a slideshow, you know, after we die. And you all know, like, this is just what happens now at funerals. There's slideshows. And these are uh, heart-wrenching. <laughs> I've, so I've been to some funerals where I don't know the person at all. And then they start playing that slideshow and I'm just a, I'm a crumbling mess. I, they, it's so powerful because what you get to see are these moments from the person's story. Um, and then you're, you just, you know, it's so powerful. Okay, so that's one way we think of story. And then the other way we think of story are these grand stories about the world. What's going on? So you can think in terms of like, yeah, religion has some stories about the world and maybe these are different, but it's not just religion. I mean, this is quite serious uh, in terms of the large stories about the world. This is what drives people to do things and sometimes to do crazy things. 
So right now, Vladimir Putin has a story about Russia. It's a story about how big Russia is supposed to be and the sort of grandeur and glory. And there's, a, there's millions of people right now in another country, and really the whole continent of Europe is being affected by this story. So stories are not small and they're not to be written off. They're quite large. You know, I, I mean, the, there's, the stories can lead to tragedy. A, a young man, 18 years old, believes a false and destructive story about white supremacy, and then he drives to Buffalo and kills people. He believed a story. So, so you know, again, stories are not to be written off. These big stories are the story of our own life, extremely powerful. I think um, the disciple, Judas, is thinking about stories when he's interacting with Jesus and he asks his question. Remember what he says? He says, he says how, how is this going to work? Jesus has been saying, You're, I'm going to leave. I'm, I'm, I've got to go. I've got to leave you. And he's preparing them for his departure. And Judas 2, we'll call him Judas 2. Judas 2, two says, how is this going to work? Because we've seen you, but the rest of the world has not seen you. And we want them to see you too. So Judas too has this idea um, about, about a story about the world that Jesus has sort of shown up in as a sort of bright spot. You know, this like lovely chapter in an otherwise very bleak story, essentially of the Roman Empire. I mean, Rome is writing the story right now at this time. And Judas too, and the rest of the disciples and, and Palestine and and, and, and all these other communities throughout the Roman Empire are basically subject to the Roman story. And then Jesus shows up and he's this like sliver of hope. And it's really, really exciting for a moment, but he says he's gonna leave. And so Judas too thinks, wait a second, is that it? Are you just gonna be a chapter in the larger story? Why can't you let the whole world, why can't this take over? What are we gonna do? It's, he's essentially asking, what is the big story? Is it a story of power? Is it a story of might? Is it a story of empire? What is it? What drives the story? What gets into the news cycle? What do we report on? Jesus answers with a bigger story. First he says, that God and he are making a home with all of them. He's not just talking about that moment. He's talking about the whole Old Testament. In fact, he's talking about the moment time began. Because ever since the very, very beginning, ever since creation itself, God has been making a home with all of humanity, with all of creation. Genesis 1 is written as a, as a, as a, as a picture of all creation as God's temple, a place for God to dwell. And the story of Abraham making a promise to Abraham to say, I will always be with you and I will bless you as a people. Walking with Moses, the Ark of the Covenant, which is the symbol of God's presence with his people, the, the cloud of smoke, the pillar of fire, on and on to, to even the exile. When God's people were, were homeless and wandering, he said, I will still be with you all the way into Jesus himself, Jesus being 
God at home with his people. So he says, we are making a home with you. And that's the whole beginning of the story up until that very point. And then at the end of what he says to Judas too, he's, is, is the end of the story. He says, I am going to my father and you should rejoice. Well, this is exactly what happens in the book of Revelation. At the very end, God becomes the temple, the home by which all people and all creation finally goes. God becomes a place where all nations are healed through the leaves of the tree that grows. God becomes all, all of all, all in all, and we find our home in God. That's the story of all things. That in, in a very quick, Jesus does it quick, he's good. And he does it very quick, but he tells the story of all things and it's a story of love. It's the story of home. That is a bigger story than story of empire. That's the bigger story and then the story of supremacy. That's the bigger story than the story of power and might and violence and anything else. There was a time, you could even date it to 2015, when a book came out and, it, and it, the, the premise of the, it was a very popular book at the time, and the premise of the book was that we finally overcome the major threats to human existence, which were um, plague, war, and famine. That was 2015. Now here we are. We still haven't quite overcome those. We sometimes think that the story is the story of us overcoming these things, but it's not. These things will always be around us. We'll always be mortal. We'll always be fragile. We'll always be at risk. But the story of love bookends our whole lives, no matter what. This is very good news. This is very good news, but it's also very big, isn't it? It's, it's like it's so big, it's hard to figure out, how do I fit into this? And so that's why I want to go back to that word character that I started out with. Between the beginning of the story and the end of the story, Jesus says that he gives two things. He gives the Holy Spirit and he gives peace. And therefore, we should not be afraid in the middle of the story. Let's understand the Holy Spirit and the peace and peace in terms of what I said about character. So fundamentally, character is just, like I said, someone who's in the story. We say that someone acts well if they can stay in character. So one time I was doing one of these um, five-minute scenes, and it was a story about uh, how this famous um, tenor, singing tenor, um, doesn't make it, uh, can't make it to this major performance. And so the, the, the producer looks around for someone to fill in the gap and sees a hapless janitor. I played the hapless janitor. And uh, he sees the hapless janitor, and he says, you, You'd be perfect. You fill in for the soprano, for the tenor, and and I'm I, in the scene. It's this time of him convincing me to do this, and I'm sitting on this bench, and um, and I'm just full of nerves, you know. And, and I'm and my character is supposed to be full of nerves too, so it worked out really well. Um, but the bench isn't like the most sturdy bench, and so in the scene, I'm looking up and I go backwards. I just, the whole bench, everything. Oh goes over and I just land on my back 
And and I like in a millisecond I I look up at my acting partner and he does not miss a beat. He's he's still right there in character. And so I stayed in character too and we just kept going on with the scene. And it was great. It was so fun. That's that's the idea of what it means to stay in character. So things come along that are unexpected. Things come along that really don't always follow the script. But what do we do is we stay in character. We stay true to the story. That's what that means. These two things that Jesus gives us, the Holy Spirit and peace, are meant to help us stay in character, to stay true to the story. The Holy Spirit, the gift of the Holy Spirit, of course, means tons of things. Jesus only gives us one of the things here. But the thing he gives us is super important. And it's this. It's that he's supposed to remind us and teach us of everything that he's told us. Remind us of the script. Remind us of the story. You know, it's like, uh, it's like if you're in a play and you have something called a script supervisor and you forget your lines. And do you know, do you know what actors say when they forget their line? They just say, line, yeah, exactly, line. And so the script supervisor says, uh, uh, what light through yonder window breaks? So he's, he's from Chicago, no, I don't know. Um, anyway, that's how he talks. Uh, Holy Spirit maybe talks like that, I don't know. Um, but the Holy Spirit is there like a, like a script supervisor to just sort of tell us like, hey, it's supposed to be this. We're supposed to be going here. You're supposed to love your enemies. I know, I know that doesn't seem like the line, but you're supposed to love your enemies. You're supposed to act with gentleness. You're supposed to have mercy. You're supposed to tell the truth. Again, on all these things, that's what, this, that's what the Holy Spirit does. The Holy Spirit reminds us of these things as we're trying to live into the story of love. So that's, that's the first thing that God gives us. Um, the second thing he gives us is peace. And peace, peace, the way I understand, he says, I give you peace not as the world gives. So we all know how the world gives. It's like, here's a gift, but it's not really a gift. I expect something in return. Jesus is just giving us a gift. He's just saying, you have peace. No strings. No strings attached. I think what this means is that we can play our part in the larger story, whoever it is we are. We don't have to play Moses. We don't have to play Miriam. We don't have to play Hannah. We don't have to play Absalom. And we definitely don't have to play Jesus. Jesus did very well with his role. We could just play our part, whatever it is, whoever you are. You know, you, you, I, you don't have to be me. I don't have to be you. We don't have to be um, superheroes. We can just be who we are. Why? Because the end of the story doesn't depend on us. The end of the story has been accomplished already by Christ. We know, it's assured. We're all going home to be with God, in God, celebrating, rejoicing forever at the marriage supper of the land, feasting in the house of Zion. We know that that's set up. We know that that's assured. And so we can just play our role, whatever our role happens to be. Maybe God's called you to be someone who's single. Maybe God's called you to be someone who has a family. Maybe God's called you to be old. Maybe God's called you to be a kid. Your role will change over time, but you will be you and God wants you 
to be exactly who you are in the story. When we receive these gifts, the result is, is we don't have to live in any kind of fear. There is no fear. We can stay in character, and we can stay true to the main plot, which is love. We can gather here each week to rehearse the way of peace. You know, the creature of the Holy Spirit is the church. Our time together on Sunday, it's the dress rehearsal for the end. And it's good to rehearse, so we can kind of get it right. Plus, it's fun. And ultimately, we can look to the look to the God who so took on the role of humanity that he revealed to us what it means to be a person of love. To be someone who can fully be themselves and yet give their life away to the world. And so, let us rejoice in exactly that. Let's rejoice in the gifts that God gives us, the Holy Spirit and peace. And let's rejoice that the larger story is not a story of violence. It's not a story of scarcity. It's not even a story of death. It is a story where love is stronger than death. Amen. Let's pray. Father of our Lord, example, and brother, Jesus Christ, thank you for welcoming us into this story of the universe. Lord, thank you for giving us a part to play. Help us to stay in character. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. May the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. And may he bring you home rejoicing once again into these doors. Amen. Go in peace.